Hi, I'm Michelle and I'm 54 years old. I was raised in a Christian home um, that was actually verbally and emotionally abusive. So I grew up as a child thinking that our God was angry with me all the time. So all my life I was trying to find, um, I believe, stability. I was easily astrayed by um, the world again. And I always felt like, oh, I'm just disappointing the Lord. I got married when I was 27, was married for 25 years. I have three beautiful children and a grandbaby that's three. I have been divorced now after 25 years. Um, we've been divorced about a year and a half now. It was also verbally abusive in the relationship, and it was both of us just going back and forth, trying to find our way. Um, never thought I would be divorced. I started drinking um, alcohol severely about six months before. It was so bad as far as the way we treated each other, I just couldn't go home without drinking alcohol to numb myself. Uh, the drinking got so bad that I lost my job, and I've never lost a job in my life. Um, so I felt even more worthless. Um, just sitting in my apartment drinking from 6 a.m. until I don't know what time at night. But then there was a day where the Lord said, um, your days are numbered, you need to stop. And so I went to a rehab facility that was not faith-based. I relapsed seven times within a year and a half. My brother in Colorado called me up and I was in a hotel room um, and said that, Michelle, you need to go to Teen Challenge. I said, okay. So I went, um, and by the time I got to Teen Challenge, it was my eighth rehab. Totally lost. I knew the Lord, but I didn't really know the Lord in my heart. It was very tough in the beginning. I didn't realize how angry I was, and I had to drop my pride. I had to drop my anger. The Lord has been so good to me, His grace just to accept me where I'm at. I'm learning how to build my character um, in good ways and not being so prideful, not being so selfish. Living with 19 other women, all different ages. I'm going into my 10th month now. I've decided that I'm going to intern afterwards because I know that I really want to help other women um, in divorce or um, drugs, alcohol. The Lord has shown me His grace. He has shown me His mercy. He has shown me forgiveness. And I've had to forgive myself, and it's been a long journey. And I really feel the Lord plucked me out of where I was and placed me in Teen Challenge. It's been a life-changing experience. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for being such a good God. Man, Michelle, thank you. Good morning. Um, I love that no matter how many times we relapse, the Lord is there to forgive us and pick us up. Amen? I want to say this. I didn't say this in the last gathering, but I, I think this is really important. Alcohol is very effective at numbing our pain and also slowly pulling the rug out from under us in our lives. And sometimes we feel like it's serving a purpose and it actually is slowly destroying us and we don't even realize it. And maybe that's for somebody here today. I'm so excited to hear a story like hers. And by the way, thank you for supporting missionaries and things like Teen Challenge. Our church, 
Um, they said, you know, 50, it's 50 outside these walls, much less all the ministry inside these walls. So thank you for giving to this church so we can support so many powerful ministries. Before I forget, last service, uh, there was a giant bug flying around and bugs like the inside where it's warm and they like the light. So it's buzzing around the screen behind me. And I put out a bounty on the bug. First time I ever did that. I said, anybody who gets that bug gets a free coffee in the coffee shop. My wife said, well, they have to present the dead carcass and then they get the, you know. Now, I know this is Olympia, so if you just want to let it outside the doors, we'll give you a free coffee too, all right? But then the worst part was uh, actually at the end of the service, people came up to me and said, Pastor, bad news. I said, what? They said, there's now three bugs flying around you. So if there's a, a bug flying around me behind the screen or something, you'll know what that's about. And uh, if you want to just kind of release your inner Mr. Miyagi and go get it, that'd be cool, all right? Awesome. All right. Didn't you enjoy the sunshine yesterday? Come on, you got to take those, those bits of vitamin D and get excited about it. And I know I'm more excited about sunshine than the average person, but I love that. Um, we went outside. We just got active. It was great enjoying that. Kind of took me back to last summer a little bit. Last summer, we had had church online only for a long time, and then we had outdoor gatherings. And we were trying to produce an online gathering, have an outdoor gathering, and we had this makeshift platform. But man, I tell you, the grass was green. The sky was blue. And we just had a crowd of people worshiping, and people, like people on the front row were really getting into it. It was just so awesome. And I remember people raising their hands and worshiping Jesus together as one church family. It was absolutely incredible to see the spirit of worship just fall upon True Grace Church. Now listen, you got to keep your sense of humor during a pandemic. Come on, anybody? Keep your sense of humor. And keep your joy, all right? We are keeping our joy in this church. Listen, I got a lot of great friends who are like, I'm just miserable because of the world. And I'm like, well, I'm not sure that's how God wants us to live. Come be miserable with me. I serve Jesus. I don't think that's the way that you're going to share your faith. And so I want to encourage you, keep choosing joy in your life. Our message title is Prevailing Joy. Prevailing Joy. The word prevail means this, to endure to outlast, oh, come on, this is good for us right now, to continue to overcome in the face of hardship, to choose joy, and that our joy would prevail during these times. Listen, when it comes to this pandemic that we're in, uh, we are going to prevail over COVID-19. When it comes to the current political climate, we are going to prevail uh, during this time. The church is going to prevail. Do you know that the church is going to survive and thrive under this president and the next president and the next president? Because the church is an anvil which has worn out many hammers. And I'm going to serve God regardless of who's president, regardless of how long the pandemic goes. I've just made that decision in my life. So prevailing joy. My hope is that your faith would prevail during these times. And with so many people pressing into God, I think it will. You are the ones that are pressing in. You're dialing in online. You're coming to a live gathering. By the way, if you ever want to press in and come to the altar, you just keep pressing into Jesus uh, during hard times, not the easy times. Press in during difficult days. It's a mark of someone of true faith. All right, if you have your Bible, Philippians chapter 2 and 3 is where we're at. As we talk about prevailing joy, this is part 3 uh, of the series on Philippians. I love to preach through a book of the Bible I'm standing on a, a scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote. I wrote it underneath the carpet on this platform. It says, may my preaching not be with wise and persuasive words, but instead with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. Because nobody wants their faith to rest on the words of man, but on the Spirit's power. Amen. 
I love that. I appreciate the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine this guy, this Apostle Paul? Like he is imprisoned. He's lost his freedom because of his faith. And, and while other people have their freedom, Paul writes to the church and he's saying these words. He's saying, listen, uh, we need to choose joy. We need to keep people who rejoice in the Lord. Usually, you go into prison and you tell the guy who's in prison, hey, rejoice in the Lord anyways. But when the guy who's in prison is writing that to you who have your freedom, that should say something about it, shouldn't it? Two weeks ago, I did a message talking about let hope rise. And there's a place in the scripture, it's called the road to Emmaus, where two of Jesus' followers, they've come in for the Passover celebration. And in that celebration, man, Jesus comes riding into town on that, that new colt, that donkey. And they put their coats in front of him and they wave the palm branches. And nobody was confused. They said, here comes our liberator, our king. We welcome the Messiah, the king of kings. Here comes Jesus, the savior, the healer, the Messiah. It was powerful what they were declaring. The whole city was in an uproar. And of course, just days later on Friday, Jesus was crucified. And so these two followers of Christ are walking back home. The Passover's over. The crucifixion has happened there. They're bewildered. They're confused. Their hope is shaken. In fact, you might say they're even hopeless. And they begin walking back home to their families. We have to tell them the news that the one that we thought that was Messiah was actually crucified and killed. And what they don't know is Jesus has been resurrected that day. And Jesus, the Bible says, actually comes and walks besides these guys, but he doesn't let them know who he is. And he says, what are you talking about? And they, they walk back home, to, and they say, man, do you not know what's happened? How could you not know what's happened? And they begin to tell the story of who Jesus was and the hope that they had and, and all that he was doing. And then Jesus takes the Old Testament, and he begins to talk about all the prophecies, everything being fulfilled. But here's what's so fascinating that's still sticking with me two weeks later. The very day of the resurrection, these guys are going home hopeless on the most hopeful day of the world. And while they're trudging along in hopelessness, hope is walking right beside them. Can you imagine that sometimes when your mind is most hopeless, that hope is actually walking beside you in the person of Jesus in your life? And somebody here today, you're, you're in that place where you're just like feeling hopeless, not realizing that God has a plan and he's with you and he's still in control. Oh, four amens. Come on. It's a good day at True Grace. That You clap better than you say amen, so I'll give you credit for that, all right? I'm telling you that this is not a hopeless time in history. There is so much to be hopeful about. The biggest thing is this. My hope is in heaven. It's never been on the things of the earth anyways. So I'm excited about that. Prevailing joy. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, I'm going to take us back to 2 before we get to 3. The Apostle Paul says this, and it's so important. He says, don't look out for your own interests. That's what the world does. Don't look out for your own interests, only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I formed this question to our life group this week. I said, listen, uh, who is one person that you can take an interest in his or her life? And specifically, what are you going to do for that person? And I would pose that question to you and I if you're a Christ follower as well. Who is one person that you can take an interest in her life or his life? Somebody you can call, somebody you can care for, someone you can do something for. Who's a person you can take an interest in their life? This is what Jesus' people do as we think about others. And here's what's fascinating is Jesus is interested in you. 
I don't know, maybe you hear that and you're like, well, I'm interesting. He should be. <laughs> but when I look at that, I go, why is Jesus interested in me? Why does Jesus care so much about me? Listen, uh, even just yesterday, I had a timeout moment with God where it just was like, no, don't you understand? Like, God's speaking to me. Don't you understand? I really do love you. I really do know all your faults. And I really do love you. And I really am with you. Is that seep into your spirit that God actually is genuinely in love with you. He's interested in your life. Take an interest in others. Be like Jesus. Paul goes on to say this, uh, do everything without complaining or, or without arguing so that no one can criticize you. What a great verse. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Has anybody ever seen those signs that say this is a no whining zone? Aren't those great signs? It's a no whining zone. And maybe you should have that up in your house or your business or something someplace. Paul says, listen, be different from the world because the word church, ecclesia, means called out ones. So be different from the world and do everything without complaining or arguing so that no one can criticize you. I think sometimes we hear this and we go, man, we, have a, we need to have this like kids don't complain. You know, coworkers stop being so complaining, right? I think we need to make a no complaining rule. You need to make a no complaining rule, not for your children and not for your coworkers, but for yourself. Because the only person that you really get to control is you. And you can actually stop for a minute and say, you know what, God, I'm going to try to be that, that, that one person who, like, I follow Jesus. And because of that, when I catch myself complaining, I'm going to stop and turn that around. Because I don't respect people who are complaining all the time, and I don't want to be that way. And I can't make sure that nobody else is always arguing or complaining, but I can, I can work that out in my own life. Do everything without complaining, without arguing. This will make you stand out in the world. Listen, I've been a part of a lot of teams over my life, a lot of sports, a lot of teams. I've coached a lot of teams. And do you know this? I started thinking about this. Usually when the coach begins to say, all right, everybody, we're going to run two laps. Or everybody do this. Or everybody, we're going to do this. No, we're not going to scrimmage today. Shut up. We're going to do more of these the same fundamental practices, Right? Typically, it was when the coach sent you to do some conditioning, and this is what I, I remember seeing, and I know this to be true. Almost every single team I ever coached, every team I've ever been on, the moment when that, when that coach says, listen, everybody's going to go run two laps, one kid takes off running. And the majority of the team looks at each other like, And I think God wants you to be that one kid who just goes, I don't complain. I just take off running. Do you know what happens to that kid? He's 50 feet ahead of everybody else before they even get it and start trying. When you're the one that chooses to not complain, you are out in front of the rest of us. And maybe today's a great day to say, that's who I'm going to be. Maybe you're a young person and your parents complain all the time. Maybe you just decide, I'm not going to be like that. That stops with my generation. I'm not going to be constantly arguing or complaining. I'm going to be different from the world. And Paul says it very clearly, so that no one can criticize you. Because, by the way, people love to criticize in this world that we live in. They're good at it. Don't be a complainer. Don't be an arguer. That invites criticism in your life. And you're going to get enough criticism in this world just by being human. In fact, you're going to get criticism by believing and living out the Scripture. So don't invite that criticism in your life for no good reason. Sometimes we need someone to love us enough to speak into our lives, to, to see something, to point something out, 
and to care for us. Some of you, you're in groups of people. You have a mentor. You have an accountability friend. And they can come to you and they can say, man, it seems like your attitude is not what it was before. It just seems like you've gotten a little sour or a little judgmental or you're just not yourself. And they can ask you difficult questions about your life. We all need that. So let me ask a question. How well do you receive criticism? I didn't do this in the last service, um, but how well do you receive criticism? How many people say, I actually feel like I can receive criticism pretty well. Go ahead, put it up. There's got to be a few of us. Okay, how many people would say, "Um, I don't receive criticism well. I got to be honest. I'm not good at receiving it. Okay, and then how many kind of like somewhere in the middle? Okay, you guys need to pick a side. That's really lame. I mean, it's just... (laughs) Criticism, how well do you receive it? I've got to be on the side that doesn't enjoy criticism. But if someone loves me, if someone cares for me, if I know someone's trying to build me up, I can receive that and listen to that. Listen, um, we need people in our lives. And I'm so impressed with some of you, like Freedom Session people, some of you just real people. You're just like, I have a friend. She can ask me anything. I got a friend, and I'll just tell them blunt, honest, where I'm struggling. It's, It's incredible, the authenticity of your faith. And I respect you and I admire you for it. I love that. Paul goes on to say this. He says in verse 15, Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world of of crooked and perverse people. He says, listen, if you'll live a clean, innocent life, um, you're going to stand out. Again, you're going to be the called out ones. And he says this, shining like bright lights in a world of crooked and perverse people. Now, I look at that, I go, Paul, how do you know how crooked and perverse the world is? You don't have the nightly news. You don't have the internet. You don't hear what's going on in the cities around you until somebody walks or comes your direction. Evidently, just in every small pocket of the world, it didn't take long to see that people were corrupt, that people were self-centered, that people were living in immorality. Paul understood the crookedness and the perverseness of the world that we're living in. And so Paul says, listen, we follow Jesus, even if we're incarcerated unfairly, we're still going to shine right where we are. We're going to be different. Some of you, the place you work, if you're going to really live for Jesus, you're going to be like the North Star during a power outage. I mean, you're just, it's, there's no way not to stand out because the environment that you live in, the world that you live in, it's just a different kind of time. And if you're going to live for Jesus, you're going to stand out. And you can't be afraid to stand out because Jesus is in your life. You just can't be. You're going to have to be willing to stand out because of your faith. Sometimes in life, we don't stand out enough. Sometimes in life, we claim to be Jesus followers, and we act like the world. Anybody? Mostly I'm talking to this section over here, right? No. I mean, sometimes in our lives, we don't measure up. Let me tell you a story about my life, a time where I definitely wasn't shining brightly for Jesus. Now, I'd been raised in this church I'd been raised in a good home. Um, I had, you know, kind of a good person, try to pray, try to be nice kind of person. About 16 years old, I looked around and I said, you know, I'm not really going the right way. Do you know a 16-year-old male can figure that out? And I said, you know, I want to change because I really want Jesus to really be Lord in my life and this, this thing to be real, this thing called faith to be real or not real. And so I really made a huge change, changed friendships, began to read the Bible on my own because I chose to. I mean, it was just God began to move in my life. But when I was 18 years old, I had one of those big moments where I really failed. And I'd only been serving Jesus, like living for Jesus for two years. I believed in God my whole 16 years, but I'd lived for God. I'd served God just too. 
And there was a lot of immaturity still in my faith in those two years into real faith at 18 years old. So at 18 years old, this is one of those stories the pastor tells that you like to laugh at the pastor, okay? So we're going to entertain you with this one. 18 years old, and I break up with my high school girlfriend. And I don't know, she probably broke up with me. It was probably her, certainly it was her fault. And uh, so we had this breakup happen, and I was really angry, really mad, just 18, and and just kind of self-centered and just thought this was so unfair and what a stupid thing to do. And so when I needed to kind of blow off steam where I live, we had woods and trees all around us. It was surrounded by Fort Lewis property. And I just like take my pellet gun. Sometimes I take food and I just go out and spend like several hours out in the wilderness, just go walk and think. I don't know if I was really praying, but maybe I was. But I remember being so angry and I just took my pellet gun and I just took off, off for a walk in the woods. I walked through woods for a long time, lots of trails. And I realized I'm not sure I'm gonna get home the same way. And it's starting to, it's gonna get dark by time I get back because it's been walking for a long time. So I walked down to the highway thinking this will work. So I walked back on the highway carrying this black uh, gun that looked like a nine millimeter because I'm a really smart 18 year old young kid, right? And I'm walking down the highway, angry face, carrying this black gun and cars are driving past me and they're freaking out. And I was like, People just shut up and leave me alone in my grief. Come on, this is, I remember these two women, they drove by and they looked at me and one looked at the other and the car went and turned around and it came back and then it turned around again. They wanted to take a second pass by to see if they really saw what they saw. I want to be like, yeah, it's a gun. You know, like, like, that's, how, that's my attitude at the moment. So they drive past me, and I see people freaking out. And I get almost to my neighborhood on, on, on the highway there. And just before I get there, this car comes in behind me. And I turn around and look, and there's a sheriff's deputy behind me. And I swear, this is exactly what he did. Through the windshield, eyes meet. And he goes, put it down. I'm like, I could have been shot, man, back then. And I looked at him like, come on, man, this is a Pelagon. Are you guys all ridiculous? I mean, I was just so caught up in my own foolishness and my own anger. He gets out of the car. I go, dude, it's a pellet gun. I set it down. He's not happy enough with that. He puts me up against the car and begins to frisk me and find everything. So cars are driving by. I'm wearing my letterman's jacket. It says Dagon across the back as everybody's going by. And he says these words. He goes, you got any more weapons on you? I was like, Pfft. No. He reaches in my pocket. I forgot about a giant folding pocket knife about that long in my pocket. <laughs> Puts me in the car, doesn't handcuff me, drives me to my house, lets me out and says, use some wisdom next time. <laughs> Listen, the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. I might add this, in your anger, don't be an idiot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Here I am, wonderful Christian, getting frisked on the side of the road. And I'm sure when that police officer, when I'm sure when that sheriff's deputy left my house, he's probably, he probably drove away thinking this, that guy will be in and out of jail the rest of his life. <laughs> Aren't you glad that the Lord matures you as you walk with him? Listen, shine brightly for the Lord. It's easy to join the ranks of hypocrites. We all make mistakes. Admit those mistakes and move forward in your faith. Man. Some of the things that we've done. And Paul says this. Paul says, listen, the world is perverse. The world is crooked. Shine like a light. Be different than those around you. Finally, chapter 3, Paul says these words. He says, whatever happens, which is a great thing to say, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Listen, the scripture says, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? 
When you wake up in the morning, you can actually say, it's Monday, but this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. You get to choose to rejoice, as, as the Apostle Paul chose to rejoice. And if you wake up tomorrow, you say it again. Verse 3, Paul says, listen, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. This is essential. This is key. The entire letter to the Galatians and much of Philippians chapter 3, do you know what's really happening? It's amazing. People that have found freedom in Jesus, people who have found hope in Jesus, are having an argument, and they're saying, you know what? We can't go to heaven unless we've been circumcised. We can't go to heaven unless we've memorized the right scriptures. We have to have the right amount of buttons on, on our robes if we're going to make it to heaven. we got to do these things and not do these things. And Paul's looking at it, and he's, he's just looking at them like, have you guys missed it? Are you going to try to go back to this law relationship when Jesus came and fulfilled the law? Jesus died for a purpose, and it's because all your holy living doesn't somehow merit eternity without Jesus. Can you imagine saying, hey, Jesus, thanks for dying on the cross and all, but I got this. I always think pure thoughts every second of every day. I never sin. I never blow it. My life's worthy of eternity without your help. Let's say this. We all get together this Easter. And instead of celebrating the resurrection and the hope we have, we all get together and go, we just like share a bunch of marshmallow peeps on Sunday morning, Christmas, on Easter morning. We go, man, isn't this great how sinless we all are? Let's celebrate our sinlessness. Come on, isn't it great? How foolish. We're celebrating the resurrection because we know that we're sinners and we know we need a savior. And yet these people are trying to go back to, to these other forms of understanding that maybe we're okay with God. And Paul says this on verse 5. He says, listen, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I get it. I'm pure-blooded. I'm a citizen of Israel. Man, I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a Pharisee. I demanded the strictest part of the law. I was so zealous that people persecuted me. And he says, I used to think all these things were so incredibly valuable about myself. But now I think it's all worthless compared to what Jesus has done for me. There's a person who understands it is not about you and how great you are. It's about God and what he's done for you and for me. Jesus died on the cross because we simply aren't good enough. We aren't holy enough apart from him. I don't know why Jesus died on the cross to forgive my sins. I really don't have any. Man, get real. You need a savior. You need Jesus just like the rest of us. You may not have been almost arrested like the pastor, but you need Jesus too. Paul says this. He says, listen, forgetting the past both the good and the bad. I, I, I'm in looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race. And I used to read this, this verse, and I used to think about this pressing on. And sometimes faith just seems like it's a grind to keep going. Right? Things happen in life, and you just kind of want to give up and turn back, and doesn't your prayers aren't answered, and hardship happens in your family. And it's so easy to turn the other way. And I used to read that about Paul pressing on. I used to think, yeah, man, like, I got to just keep striving for holy living. I got to strain. I got to sweat. It's, it's a grueling, miserable life sometimes to try to achieve heaven. And I thought about that. I thought, I don't think that's what Paul's saying at all. Paul's actually saying rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in what Jesus has done. Don't like strain and try to work you, your human soul and willpower yourself to heaven. That ain't going to work. No, Paul's rejoicing in the Lord and what he has done. It's all about Jesus. 
Galatians chapter 3, it was so clear. If salvation can be found in right living, man, if you could boy scout your way to heaven, Paul would have done it. He had it all, all the right actions, all the outward appearances. He cornered the market, but he was still a sinner like you and me. And Jesus died for sinners like you and me. Jesus had a purpose when he went to the cross. And listen, it is possible in the world that we live in today that maybe you're just still trying to be good. You're trying to impress God apart from his help. I want to encourage you, you're never going to be good enough for heaven on your own. Many people understand what the Bible actually says. They think it says good people go to heaven and bad people don't. The reality is this, what the Bible really says is God loves you just the way you are. I love that. God loves me just the way I am. But it's even better than that. He loves me too much to leave me the way I am. He picks me up, shows me the error of my ways, cleans me off, and sets me on a new path in my life. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He wants to remove the sin and the selfishness from your life that keeps you from an eternity in heaven. And we can't take away our own sin or somehow live perfectly from here on out. Anybody else think you're going to mess up a little bit between here and the day you die or the day Jesus comes back? The middle section, probably. That's the. We all need Jesus' forgiveness in our life. And to live for the Lord, man, it makes you uncommon. It makes you stand out. That's okay. I want to remind you of this truth. In order to be spiritually strong, you must first admit that you are weak. In order to really be spiritually strong, you have to admit your weakness. Lord, I'm human. I'm a sinner. There's a lot of things I say, I do, and I think that you know are so far from your plan for my life. Lord, I admit my weakness. I need your help. Lord, help me. Billy Graham needed the Lord's forgiveness. You need a savior. You can try a million different ways, but you simply don't have the power or the strength to somehow will yourself to an eternity in heaven apart from God. You desperately need his help. And so Paul's looking at these people going, are you serious? You're gonna go back to circumcision and memorizing scriptures and the way that you're dressed and you're gonna say that that somehow merits eternity in heaven? And Paul says, listen, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. The law was placed here to keep us from killing each other until the law was fulfilled and Jesus is here and now there is hope in heaven because the Savior is resurrected. He's alive. There is hope in Jesus. You cannot be saved by keeping the law or, giving a, or living a good moral life. You need Jesus. It's true for Paul. It's true for Billy Graham. It's true for you, and it's true for me. It's by grace that you have been saved through faith, not in yourselves, but in Jesus. So I'm going to challenge you today to pray something like this. Lord, I know I'm not perfect. And Lord, like everyone else, I need you. I need a Savior. I need to be transformed by your grace. I know I don't measure up to heaven on my own. I need forgiveness. Beyond that, I need you to lead me into the life that I'm supposed to have, my future in you. One time I heard a statement, and I believe it, and so I repeat it. And there's so much in the church about God trying to get people to heaven. And somebody said it like this. God's not trying to get people to heaven. He's trying to get heaven into people. God's not just trying to get people into heaven. He's trying to get heaven into people. Because when Jesus enters your life, heaven becomes your destiny. But it shapes who you are 
in the here and now today if Jesus is the center of your life? Can we take a moment and pray? Maybe just bow our heads if we're here live and maybe if you're at home, maybe take a moment and bow as well. I've been praying for you and I've been praying that your faith would prevail. I know there's vices that you turn to. I know there's hopelessness around you. I know there's questions that you don't have answers for. I know there's injustice that you live with. I know there's people that should understand your life, but they don't. But I also know there's one who does fully understand what you're going through. There's one who knows you. He sees you at your worst and he loves you at his best. And I'm praying that your hope would prevail, that your joy would prevail, that your faith would outlast pandemic and the hardships of today. The greatest thing that you could do in your life is to stop and reconsider where you stand with God. And if you're not right with God, the greatest thing you can do is stop right now and recenter your life, refocus your life, commit your life to be one of those whose faith prevails. Lord, like everyone else, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Would you forgive me and would you lead me? If you're watching online, I want to encourage you to pray that prayer. I know I need a savior. If you're here live and you want to be included in my closing prayer for you, if you're here today and you're like, I need to recenter my life, I need to refocus my life and commit my life to Jesus, would you just raise your hand? I want to include you in this prayer. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else want to join these eight or nine, ten? Yeah, thank you. You can put it down after you raise it. Anybody else? Yeah, thank you. Thank you in the back. Praise God. Listen, church, the devil is at work in our world. He doesn't want you to shine. He doesn't want you to stand out. I just have a sense there's some young people here today and you need to make that decision. I'm not just gonna be raised in church. I'm not just gonna be nicer than the rest of the teenagers around me or, no, I'm really going to live my life with hope and I'm really gonna live my life as a person of faith in this world. There's several under 18. And today is a day of decision for you. And if you'll really live for Jesus, not just be a nice person, if you'll really live for Jesus, they will talk about you for years to come. We need your faith. Lord, today we don't rely on our human efforts. But Lord, today we acknowledge what you have done for us. 
that all of our sins, and they are many, can be forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. Lord, to be spiritually strong, you must admit your weakness, and we admit freely all the ways we miss the mark. And we ask God you forgive us and continue to forgive us and strengthen us. Lord, help us to grow and mature and not to fall away from our faith, but let the obstacles to our faith make our faith even stronger. Lord, we serve you not on our merits, but on your amazing kindness and grace to us. Lord, thank you for your voice, for your presence, for your spirit here. And Lord, for that person who's here and they're maybe in high school or even junior high, and, and today's a day where they're just making that clear decision, I will be a person of faith no matter what. Holy Spirit, guide them, direct them, make them a leader, give them boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Aren't you glad that you came to church or celebrated church online? Just a good spirit. God's doing great things. If you want to pray and stick around, you're always welcome to. If you find a dead bug carcass and you want to take it to the coffee shop, just trade that in. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful, amazing week in the Lord. God bless you.